Greetings all, welcome back and welcome to season three of the Artivist Room, movement building through art and activism. I'm your host, the wearer of multifaceted hats, Brittany King. My beloveds know me as BK. And I am St. James, joining y'all for season three of the Artivist Room. Thank you so much for having me. Feeling blessed and honored to be here with you, BK. Honored to have you as a co-host this season, St. James. You may recognize his name because he is our audio engineer. He's been making this all sound good, and he's going to make himself sound good as well this year. So shout out to you, St. James, and glad to have you on this side of production team. So the audio you just heard was of Miss Georgia Jackson, the mother of George and Jonathan Jackson, young revolutionaries who were both killed in their respective struggles against the California state prison system. George Jackson was convicted at the age of 19 for robbing a gas station and sentenced with the cruel and unusual punishment of one year to life in prison. While in prison, he started the Black Guerrilla Family, a revolutionary organization often noted as a start of our current prison abolition movement. His brother, Jonathan, attempted to free George and other revolutionaries by holding a courtroom hostage. While trying to get away, police opened fire on their van, killing Jonathan Jackson, the judge, and others. George Jackson was later murdered by prison guards. So today's topic, the belly of the beast, was built on violence, though. St. James, how do you feel about that? My dog said the belly of the beast was built on violence and she could not be more correct. We here in the United States are in the belly of the beast. Babylon, as some of my more spiritual comrades would call it. This great nation was built on every form of violence conceivable. It began with the genocide of the indigenous and the enslavement of African people and continues to spread its violence around the world today. Gun violence, it's it's not unique to poor black communities or underdeveloped nations. It's not a phenomenon of mass shooters either. Gun violence in this country began with settler colonialism and the ethnic cleansing of indigenous people. And how was they able to do all this? They did it with guns. In 1777, one of the first things George Washington did was build a national armory to mass produce guns. The Second Amendment... It ain't had nothing to do with the right to bear arms. It was all about the violent appropriation of native land by white settlers. And the Second Amendment was ratified in 1791, which was the same year the Haitian Revolution started. So, of course, slave owners in the U.S. were scared the Haitian Revolution would spread to all the slaves in the states. So they passed laws, including the Second Amendment, to prevent that from happening. 
after centuries of violent repression of black and indigenous people, this had long-lasting effects. We see vendors in Chile opening fire on May Day protesters, journalists being gunned down left and right in Mexico, gangs on the streets of Haiti, as police continue to kill people in the U.S. and mass shootings hitting record numbers. We got a war on drugs in Latin America, NATO in Europe, and AFRICOM in Africa. We should think about this entire history of violence as we dive into the conversation. Today in the room, we'll be joined by an inspiring panel of artists and organizers who will respond to what you've just heard. Tara T. Tara believes liberation for Black people and oppressed will only be realized through a global resistance which connects struggles and steadfastly resists anti-Blackness and capitalism. She's garnered quite a bit of experience working against systemic repression from testifying at the UN Convention Against Torture in Geneva, Switzerland, to direct action and programmatic facilitation. She works daily to support and uplift Blackness through word and deed. And she's also just a dope individual. Thank you so much, Tara, for being here. Our next panelist is Adajari McMillan. He's professionally known as the Transformative Justice Therapist, TJ Therapist for short. (laughs) Specializing in race and equity, sexuality, addictions, and men's issues, Adajari has demonstrated background in the field of mental health. He dedicates his life to creating and curating spaces to foster movement towards solutions for his community and those like his, influencing healing and being of service when, where, and however he is able through the use of poetry, therapy, and TJ practices. So, for initial reactions, I'd love to pass it off to our first panelist, Ms. Tara T. Please introduce yourself to our audience, and please give us your initial thoughts on this clip that we just heard. Um, absolutely. I agree with everything that she said. The Western world, and in particular, this empire that um, calls itself the United States, are purveyors of violence all over the world, everywhere that they go. Um, Who knows that better than a a mother or two black boys that have been fighting against the penal system? Um, Like who who knows that that better than her? Like like what, what it looks like when the people who have in fact created the violence um, use it on you and then paint you violent when you make any effort to defend yourself in in whatever way that you choose. Um, however, however you choose to de- defend yourself, depending on what you look like, it's going to be uh, declared violent. And just for the record, Mama Tara, can you let the people know that are listening uh, who you are and what you do in the world? <laughs> I'm Tara. I um attempt to move around the world as black as possible um, at all times. I uh, am a St. Louis native, born and raised, mostly matriculated here. Um, but I. I'm a person who decided to go outside um, when Mike Brown was murdered. So I know I'll, I, I too know what it looks like um, when folks 
that have unlimited budgets and resources uh, unleash on you and decide that you are violent. Thank you so much, Tara, and welcome to the panel. I'm going to pass it to our next panelist, my brother, Adejari. Please introduce yourself and give us your thoughts on this clip from Mother Jackson. Uh, peace and blessings, everyone. My name is Adejari. Um, a lot of my friends and folks that uh, care about me know me as Ade. Um, I have the, the pleasure and the blessing of uh, moving about the world in the capacity of a mental health therapist. Um, a practitioner of healing arts of sorts um, in the realms of transformative and restorative justice, um, as well as an artist um, through the mediums of, you know, visual arts, drawing, painting, um, and poetry, uh, most notably. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to be here tonight. And, um, oh, man, as far as, as far as Mother Jackson and her words, I mean, they, they ring true, you know? To this day, they ring true. They resonate so hard because um, she's a hundred percent correct. And what I what I find interesting about the way in which she delivers the messages is, despite despite being a survivor of violence and a survivor of probably multiple forms of violence, um, in and out of her community, she still does not separate herself from her own context to America and to, you know, the imperialist nation that the United States is. Um, and I find that to be, of everything that she said, to be the most significant because it is so real and it's such a double consciousness that us as Black people, that us as colored people have to contend with and live with on a day-to-day -day basis. What does it mean to be in a nation that, commits violence on a you know on a daily basis hour by hour has committed violence historically around the entire globe and and in and of itself was built off of violence you know this country was built off of acts of violence and, and it's like as black people some might say victims i choose to call us and refer to us as survivors of this violence what does it mean to also to be a survivor but to also be within the same context of reaping at least some of the benefits of said violence, right? I, I find that to be like such a challenging, a challenging notion to take on anytime we're having these conversations around, you know, around what it means to move in ways that are healthy and, 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 and what it means to grow our communities and, and, create safe havens and places where, you know, our kids can live and breathe and be without having to worry about what's around the corner or what's coming up next or, you know, who, who, who did wrong or who's potentially doing wrong. Um, yeah, <laughs> those are my initial reactions to that, most definitely. Thank you all so much. So uh, we wanted to start today's show by talking about violence. Um, right now, in so many different ways, we are experiencing levels of violence, be it state section violence, interpersonal violence, um, or violence, you know, that we're inflicting upon ourselves because of the mental 
and uh, spiritual battles that we're having to face in this year, the third year of a pandemic that a lot of people act like doesn't exist anymore. We can make it plain. Um, but all of us in this room today are not mere organizers, culture workers, or artists. We belong to people who have been socialized to understand violence as not only necessary, but required practice to exist in the belly of the beast. So why then are there certain sections of our movements who choose nonviolence as a strategy against this group that we find ourselves in? Um, and I'm just going to open the floor. Whoever wants to pop in and kind of answer that first, I'll let you have it. But um, I'd love to, you know, just pose that question. Why do we choose nonviolence as a strategy? I, I would just say one of the primary reasons that I feel like folks <laughs> choose nonviolence is because they got more guns than we do. Um, and if in fact you were not in a position to, to win a battle, uh, via military, then you, you have to use some, some other tactics. And then also, like, because of respectability, like, for whatever reason, I mean, you know, folks, because of the ways that we've been conditioned and brainwashed, and we do have to be better, faster, stronger in all of the ways to get half of the opportunities, half of the resources, um, but we have been conditioned to think, you know, if we do things in a particular way, um, if you write a write a nice nice letter, a sh nice if you dress this way, if you protest this way, if you do this in this way, it is going to yield results um, differently. Um, and how many times you know have your parents or the elders told you you know you can't do what they do, <laughs> you know? And so they might be able to go flip a car over because the hockey team won. Like, you you know what I'm saying? You can't do what they do. Um, so a lot of it, one, like I said, they got more guns than we do. And so until, until we can train and make ourselves fit in the ways that we need to, to, to win some battles, uh, which can be done, uh, <laughs> that's something that we always have to keep in the back of our minds and two we should also constantly be working to shed all respectability bullshit that does not serve us talk about it let's go <laughs> the respectability got us in the chokehold <laughs> um ade uh um why do some people choose non-violence um I would venture, because I'm not going to say that I know something that I don't know, but I would venture to think and believe that if we took the civil rights era and um, racial movements of the past in this country and compared them to racial movements of this country now, currently, I would, I would think that for every difference we could find between the two, you could probably find an equal amount of similarities. Ultimately, I, I, I'm uncertain as to whether or not any side, if this is to be divided into two sides, is more wrong than the other one, right? 
And I don't necessarily think that I would also say that I, I don't necessarily think that it's a matter of right and wrong in the simple ways that we think about right and wrong. Right. Um, I, I, I like to think about it in terms of always giving respect and credence to what our context is. Um, and when I say context, I mean our social context. I mean our geographic context. I mean <clears throat> um, our context in terms of uh, advancements in, in, in society, in technology, in the way information travels and, and is disseminated and shared. Um, I think about it in terms of, in terms of access, our context in, in, in terms of, in terms of access, how close we are to the things that we need, um, or far away from the things that we need, right? Because if, if what I truly need is maybe, um, uh, one good hospital, uh, urgent care and a supermarket, but all you've given me is a few project buildings, crack cocaine and 300 plus officers in a department. We painted BLM in the street though. Mm. Come on. You know, it's, it's, it's what, what do you expect for the the residents to, to do? What do you expect for them to reach for? What do you expect for folks to, to utilize, right? You haven't given resources that are edifying to one's personhood or to the community and so you leave people to their own devices. And that's why I don't look at it in that way of like, oh, well, is one right or is, is the other wrong or is whatever, whatever. I look at it as what are people using and what do people have to use while we all struggle and try to survive? Because at the end of the day, that's what we're trying to do. Right, right. <laughs> we're trying to live well. I love that you said it in that way. Like, what are the circumstances? Right, because that is kind of a perfect segue into my next question: mm. Is violence ever necessary? Like we saw during uh, some of the first uh, protests during the uprisings, and you can just pick one, obviously, honestly, um, where you know people are outraged that you know folks are burning down CVSs and uh, you know uh, crashing into windows, and you know this is their neighborhood; these are businesses that serve their neighborhood. How? Our people understand the connection between this CVS and the ways in which that they traffic and uh, dehumanize our people. Like, why in the world and all of the CVSs are all of the hair care products behind uh, plastic bearings and you have to actually press buttons for people to come over there? Like, what what are you really saying to our people about the ways in which we ha we can move around the world where every step we take, we're surveilled, every step we take? We're treated as though our our autonomy is not respected. <laughs> I would love to hear your thoughts. Are is is violence necessary at all in any respect? I, I don't know um, any people, persons that have garnered their freedom, you know, and its levels to freedom, right? Um, <laughs> whether your freedom looks like uh, equitable housing and or being able to go to a voting booth and or like wh whatever your freedom looks like i don't to you know what i'm saying like haiti and you know actually like banging for your land i don't know any people any group of 
of people that have garnered their freedom uh, without conflict, without without violence. Um, so yes, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, absolutely. And and to to my brother's point, I mean, everything is contextual, right? But when we talk about context, that's back all the way up to what what violence actually is, and and the definition that we use for violence is a very narrow definition that has been handed to us by the same folks that will tell me that um, someone that doesn't have access to housing or healthcare or, or clean water is, is not a, a victim of violence. You know, like, like those same folks say, you know, it's cool, you know, that these babies are dying because they were born in this zip code. Like those are, those are the same people that are giving me the definition of violence. So yeah. It's necessary, and it is also necessary that we continue to um, question and dissect uh, definitions and anything else, you know, just just handed to you by them folks, because you can see, I mean, anything you actually need, they ain't trying to hand to you, so. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you brought up deprivation as a, as a form and a means of violence, because... Oh man, that same CVS, <laughs> if we're going to use the CVS example, that same CVS that was that was put up, purchased and put up by a corporation that bought the plot of land that it now sits on, that probably once ha- held houses that housed community folks, right? That ended up being pushed out of said housing in order for the land to be purchased, in order for the CVS to be put up, the same CVS that offers marginal to no services to the greater community that it sits in, right? And and who bars the community members it's themselves from its doors and from its services on the basis of things as flimsy as not having proper health care or not having proper documentation or not having something that should be universal like insurance in order to even receive services is also a form of violence. It's, it's, actually, <laughs> it's actually a complex and multi-tiered form of violence that people have to deal with, sit through, endure on a daily basis in this very same community that they live and breathe in. So not only is it, is it violent in and of itself, right? But it perpetuates continual violence because you, you've done harm and then you continue to do harm by remaining stationary in that community and by not providing those resources across time. And with a tax abatement. And with and with a tax of it, thank you. And, <laughs> you see what I'm saying? So it's like it's like what are we really? And, and 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 Mother Jackson says that in the video. What are we really talking about here? You can't make a comment about somebody else when you doing the exact same thing, and then some. Come on, that don't make sense. Um, I was just um the 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 point that y'all brought up about Mother Jackson and um her immediate pivot to the global lens 
and I, you know, I just want to point out that, you know, black folks always got a global lens. <laughs> like, we, we don't ever not have a global lens. Now, what we might not have is the capacity to hold that shit right now. That's what we might not have because we are and always fighting for our damn life. But, I mean, why does Mother Jackson know that Vietnam is some bullshit? Because all of her homeboys, they got drafted. Like, there's always, because we are always the most impacted, and also there are black folks everywhere, we we don't have a choice but to have a global lens. Um, and so, yeah, you know, just another one of those stereotypical things that folks would have you to believe that black folks don't can't see, don't, whatever, um, which is just absolutely not true. And we also are exhausted with <laughs> when we do show up to hold some shit for whomever else. Then when we look, when we look around, when we need uh, where y'all pan African flags at, like you know, the flags don't be flying in the way that they that they need to when it's when it's us in need. So yeah, we don't ever not have a global lens. Um, I'm glad that y'all brought that up. And even in our space of not having capacity, we still gonna say, yeah, and look at what they doing to them folks in Vietnam. <laughs> That's very true. I kind of feel like I know where you stand on this, St. James, but <laughs> I love to hear you talk your shit for a second. So, like, I'm thinking, like, where does this whole notion of nonviolence comes from? There's uh, Jesus Christ, right? Jesus mm. Christ was not nonviolent. He walked into the tabernacle, seen the money changers and them bankers, and started whipping and started turning over tables. Uh, there's this whole uh, falsehood around uh, MLK, but let's keep it real. MLK had guns. To him, nonviolence was a strategy, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, he was well aware that there were people gunning for him. Gandhi, who uh, espoused nonviolence, threw African people under the bus for Indian people. I think the powers that be have taken the narrative around nonviolence and, and used it to their benefit. But violence is the way that the powers that be got there. The way they got to where they at is through violence. And then the people that are subjugated, the people that are left fighting for their liberation, we the ones that are told to be nonviolent. That just seems ridiculous to me. It's a it's I I, I like to call it hypocrisy at its finest. Um and I, I say that because I don't I don't even like to ask the question, really. Um is is violence necessary? I understand that that's the question, but I don't even like to ask that question. Um, because because necessary is relative, because necessary requires context. In order for you to, you can't determine whether or not anything is necessary without looking at context in some way, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So, so from that perspective, we can argue about whether or not it's necessary all day, but my question is going to be what's happening or what has happened. Right. And so from that, like when I, when I ask the question like that, then it turns into, okay, well, what could these people have done? What could anybody have done in the face, in the face of violence, right? 
what is the expectation? Is if if it's anything other than survival, like as a base level expectation, then I would fully be in agreement that nonviolence is probably never necessary in any situation. The reason why I'll explicitly disagree and say that violence is, you know, it's 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 never it's 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 I would say that there are there are times when violence is necessary. Primarily because violence is biological. Mm. Because violence occurs in nature. I don't foresee there being a world that is devoid completely of violence. Because it's it's in human nature to use means in order to gain access. I was thinking the same thing as you said it. Instinctively, when we're in fear for our life, there's the fight or flight response, right? The fight is defending yourself. The flight is running away. And I'm just thinking of Patrick Leola, right? Who just got shot in the back of the head by the police officer. And it's like, he was in fear of his life. Mm-hmm. He knew it would be stupid to try to fight that cop. You know what I mean? Who has a gun on him. So he tried to run and he still got shot in the back of his head. So biologically speaking, nonviolence is like, it don't make no sense. You only mentioned two out of, out of the responses, but there is a third. The third, the third response would be to freeze, which, which also sometimes happens, right? And, and coincidentally, that's often the response that's thrown in our faces um, as, as a worthy means of response to violence and to violent acts, right? Don't run away, because if you run away, you look guilty. Right. And we're going to shoot you. We're going to shoot you. If you keep doing what you're doing, you're guilty. We're going to shoot you. If you fight us, you're guilty. We're definitely going to shoot you. So you have nothing to do but to freeze. But if you freeze, then what? Maybe. Maybe. It's all maybes. The problem with maybes is that maybes don't satisfy the human condition. Mm. We don't we don't operate off of maybes. We need a response. So earlier I did speak about the six principles that were outlined by him in his essay, A Pilgrimage to Nonviolence, and that these principles serve as the foundation of the teachings of Kingian nonviolent conflict reconciliation and are often referred to as the will of nonviolence. So I'm going to read you the six principles. Um, They'll also be linked in our show notes if folks want to, if folks who are listening want to get like a a comprehensive understanding of each of the principles. I'm just going to read the titles of them. And um, I'd love to just hear y'all's responses and uh, tell me about how these principles are landing on you um, and how you feel about them. So here are the six principles of Kingian. And when we say Kingian, we mean Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Kingian nonviolence. So number one is that nonviolence is a way of life for courageous people. Number two, the beloved community is a framework for the future. Number three, you should attack forces of evil, not persons doing evil. Number four, accept suffering without retaliation for the sake of the cause to achieve a goal. Number five, Avoid internal violence of the spirit as well as external physical violence. And number six, the universe is on the side of justice. I'd love to hear how those land on you all. Um, I think that uh, multiple things can be true at once. And I mean, I agree. Nonviolence is a way of life for courageous people. 
I also agree <laughs> that there are times when violence is necessary and being violent is also courageous. So yes, true, all of that. But I also believe that multiple things can be true. Um, that terror. I ain't gonna lie, I disagree with most of it until that last thing you just said. Like multiple things can be true at the same time. Like the universe is on the side of justice. I absolutely believe the universe is on the side of justice. Do I think that because the universe is on the side of justice, that don't mean that motherfuckers need to get smacked in the mouth sometimes. Come I on Come on. <laughs> Both of those can be true. <laughs> oh, I mean, if we're reading these and we ain't sit down and talk to this man, like we don't know what his thought process was behind it. He could have very well sat down and wrote this with the same thought. Like, I know that the universe is on the side of justice. He was like a hella, like he was a preacher. He was a hella faithful dude. He could have been like, I know God is banging for it, whatever that looks like for him. And also, I don't know no black boys from Birmingham that ain't got guns. Come on. So both of those can be true. And the same people that gave you this definition of violence are the same people that gave you your lens to look at all of the kings through. I did. Hmm. Good brother. Let us know. <laughs> 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 oh. Letters from a Birmingham jail. It's probably my favorite piece of writing from MLK. Like, period. Because he, at that point, had either already done so or begun to have discourse um, and really meaningful discourse around the state of things to get down to you know what really matters and what really makes that letter um, and those letters from Birmingham jail significant, really for me is like this this brother is changing. This brother is going through things. He is he is having an awakening after having had the awakening. You know, <laughs> and it's he he he's, he you can tell that he began to come into a different sort of understanding. Why? Because he's, he begins to question himself. These folks that we up against, they're not questioning themselves. They're not questioning their decisions because they are resolute in the choices that they make. That is our, that is our work in this movement is to drive the idea of challenging one's one's sense of of reality you know of pushing the bounds of going beyond what we've been told we can go to mm -hmm. that is that is why that is why artists do what we do you know if we're if we're not comforting the disturbed and disturbing the comfortable as good brother you know jimmy b says what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? Really and truly. And do we have space and room and time <laughs> to even talk about it? Should we even be talking about it? I feel like there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of conversations from a lot of different people in many different places in this country and in others about violence and, and they're going on without any real or proper analysis of 
what violence is, how it shows up, why it functions the way that it does, what it does to the people that are impacted by it, and the communities and the environments that are impacted by it as a result. We're not having those conversations. We need to have those conversations. We need to. We definitely need more of these conversations. For sure. We need these conversations. Absolutely. Uh, are you saying we need more artifice room? Is that what I heard? <laughs> I'm, saying we, I'm saying we need all of the artifice in the room. I'm saying we need the artists, the activists, the organizers, and then we need everybody who's listening to us and those that should be listening to us in the room. <laughs> right? Because... Because one perspective ain't going to do it, right? And one person taking command and sitting at the helm hasn't been a successful strategy yet. Mm. So so if we still out here waiting on a savior, if we still waiting on a messiah, back to the Jesus reference, right? then we're going to be waiting for a little minute. The rapture ain't happened yet, according, you know, according to... to Christian. I don't know. You looking outside? Yeah, it's looking real shady. Change, climate change telling us something different. Okay. That rapture right. might be climate change. You're right. You're right. Looking real revelations three sixteen. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I probably ain't got the latest checklist. Come on. <laughs> I probably ain't got the latest checklist, but it's looking shady. I don't know how many more boxes they got. Right, and you know, but you know. But you know what? Regardless of where you think we are in terms of the rapture, what remains to be true is that everyone that was on the side of the Lord never moved from their post. The Trump, the Trump is blue when they were supposed to blow. The angels were where they were supposed to be on time and in time. What needed to happen eventually happened, and it's because there was rigor. It's because it's because the powers that be, the true powers that be were resolute and were all, and were knowing of where where they should be when they should be and that's what makes conversations around violence so difficult to have because folk don't want to deal with the rawness of of what violence really and truly is and how and how environments are f- sometimes forever changed by it you know and, and, and people also don't want to contend with the idea that society is probably going to have violence in mm-hmm. it. And the hardest thing I think uh, for people to accept a lot is that things like, you know, working 40, 50 hours a week for wage that's not living, that's not livable, with no kind of like, you know, benefits, no health care. That is a form of violence that's inflicted on one particular part of the population. It's so many different forms of violence that's not always physical, that's sometimes economic, that's sometimes psychological, but it leaves scars nonetheless, right? Ms. Jackson in her statement says something, the most truest thing I've heard in a long time, is that they take their violence and they turn it back around on somebody else. Mm. How are we grappling with this violence now, either through art or our individual actions as organizers? Like, how are we grappling with the violence that we're seeing? And how are... In turn, with this grappling, how are we envisioning transformation from these forms of violence? Um, so I was scrolling Facebook the other day. <laughs> Shout out to social media. Not always the best idea, but okay. Not always, right? <laughs> but nonetheless, I was I was scrolling Facebook, right? And and a friend of mine 
um, a friend of mine had a piece of artwork um, put up and it was, it was, it was dedicated to and shouting out her daughter. Um, and it contained some writing that also was shouting out, you know, speaking to her daughter and who her daughter was or whatnot. Um, and it just, I'll just be blood raw about it. It, it reminded me to hope because I was, I was reinvigorated with this idea that like, yes, times are what they are. Times are hard. Things are rough. People are really going without. And there's still another generation coming up. There's still kids being born. There's still folks that are behind us and that are depending on us and the, the decisions that we make in the here and now, right, to determine or at least partially determine what their future and what their reality ends up looking like when they reach the age that we are. And <laughs> I just, it just reminded me and, and pushed me a little bit more and whispered to me sort of in my ear to, you know, just keep going. It sucks right now, but keep going. It's hard right now, but keep going. You want to give up, but you got to keep going. Like, you know, the work, the work, the work. There's still work to be done. Rest. When you get tired, rest. Take a pause. Do what you need to do for yourself, right, so that you can do the work, but understand that there is work. Understand that there are folks that are dependent on us. Understand that apathy, while it may be a wildly prevalent emotion right now, is not the emotion the only emotion that still exists, that there is love out there, that there is hope out there, that there is bravery out there, there is courage out there. There are folks that are dreaming. There are folks, you know, that want things legitimately and deserve to get them and can have them if we choose to construct the world that we want. Right? Like, like, like for once, <laughs> social media gave me just a tad bit of hope. We see food... We see foolishness online all day long. You know, we, we, we watch the news and we hear the bad stuff going on in the world all the time. We are inundated with violence. They, we can't avoid violence. There's, there's like nowhere we could go in Western society that is violence free. <laughs> I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. Name the place where it's at because that's where I'm trying to go chill, you know. <laughs> Even and even with all of that, even with all of that, that life still goes on, that our communities are still here, you know. And so, from that perspective, like that's why I do the work that I do outside of art. That's why that's part of why I'm a dream defender. That's why I, you know, we're building. I'm 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 a part of a team, and we're helping to build out um, this HJC, the Healing and Justice Center, because. Yeah, squad. Shout out to squad. <laughs> you know, um, and, and and primarily because we need to do something more than just march. We need to do more than just scream. Right? We can't. Our 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 every response to to some form of violence against us can't be flight. It can't be. And I'll caveat that and say and not but but and. We have to get better at the ways in which we fight. Because fighting doesn't always mean violence. 
sometimes fighting means creating the things that we need, creating the things that our communities need. Sometimes fighting means creating, period. Not, not because you have to, but because you want to, because you're driven to, because the world needs it, because somebody out there agrees, or because even more people out there disagree. <laughs> right? Like fighting doesn't always have to look like Lil Johnny punching Billy in the face and Billy walking around with a black eye. Fighting can also look like that poem, that song, that mural, those plants that were planted in that community garden, the harvest from, 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 from patches and, and, and you know, from, from feeding uh, places. Fighting can look like the community fridge. It doesn't always have to be what we think of fighting as or about it doesn't always have to be what fighting has been given to us looking like. Because it, 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 fighting does not have to be what it has been given to us looking like. It doesn't have if, to be what they tell us it is. Not at all. If for no other reason other than because we ourselves are creators and so therefore we can create new and different if we choose to. But we have to choose to. Mm, mm. Auntie Tara, I'd love to hear your two cents on the matter. Ma'am, what are we grappling with? Or how are we grappling with this violence in our work? And how do we envision transformation? Um, yeah, I don't know how we're grappling with this in our work. Because, I mean, there are times when I feel hopeful, but there are often times when I recognize that we have been conditioned and so we are responding to the violence in um, in the way that it has been given to us and <laughs> oftentimes on us because that's who is in proximity to us. I just, um, on my way home, <laughs> just saw a dude hop out at the gas station with an assault rifle and dump like five times on the lot and hop back in his van and pull up. And yeah, so today ain't necessarily one of the hopeful days. Um, Sounds like another night in the hood. I ain't gonna lie. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's what it is. I the even even the response to everyone around, including myself, was that of yeah, this okay, here we are. Like this is too regular of an occurrence. Like our responses our responses said that this is too regular of an occurrence. Um People still sitting at the red light, waiting on it to turn green. Like, ain't a, we <laughs> we have not acknowledged science at all in this. Because I'm like, so you finna dump at the gas station? You want everybody to die. You just you want, uh, like, um, yeah, like nobody. It was it was just real regular. Like everybody's response was real regular when I when I got through the light and passed the gas station. Um, the dude at the pump 
right on the other side of where uh, the shot just was, was still standing there pumping his gas. Like, what are we doing? You know? So, there are, I, I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm going to say, I don't know how we're grappling with it because I don't know how I'm grappling with it. So, if I'm a reflection of whatever is happening uh, in, in these spaces, uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, and we do, I, I absolutely agree with brother. I day. like, we've talked about context a lot and absolutely part of your fight is knowing in, in what way you need to respond and what time. And if you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> your folks ain't going to have clean water all summer. Then yeah, the response is the community fridge. Um, and and the fight might look like how we gonna keep the water in here because we also know that they'll come and destroy and steal and take water. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, the fight is it it looks and it's always different and, and part of the fight is knowing when and how to respond uh, at the time. And yeah, I don't know how we grapple with it because even sometimes like that that work can feel, you know, like futile, like, okay, so this is right now, you know, uh, we set up in the park on the north side and, uh, you know, so for five hours, we got you, you know, <laughs> whatever you need for those five hours, we got you, we got your kids. Um, I'm going to give y'all some of this good black vegan food and... We gonna dance, and we're and we're gonna talk about, you know, ways in which you can start having tenant conversations where you live, and you know, we gonna do all of it for five hours, you know. So even then, like, there are times when it just seems very fleeting and futile. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know how we're grappling. I hear you. And that's honest because there are moments, more often than not, I don't have an answer to that question. <laughs> that's why I'm asking y'all, you know? Like, I, I really love to figure out how we're, we're instilling the transformation that I know that I'm currently in, trying to transform every day and trying to, you know, transmute that energy of transformation into our communities, into our, into our young people. So it's, it's something that I'm grappling with all the time especially when it comes to my art and my art practice and how to like, you know, bring these themes and these questions into it. So it's not just our communities that are questioning, it, you know what I'm saying? Um, so yeah, Tara, I, I feel you, I really do. Um, well, thank you all so much for your commentary and adding a little bit more um, clarity and a, little bit, a lot more nuance to the conversation around violence versus nonviolent strategies. I do want to close this out with the last final question. If the work is to shift narratives and to change the conditions for our people, what is our call to action when it when regarding the state of violence in our communities? What is our call to action to our listeners? My call to action for folks is to question and challenge everything that has been presented to you um, what that is 
and why it's been presented to you in that way. Um, and then to figure out based on whatever is going on with you, your people, your needs, uh, determine your, your best way to fight in that moment for, for that time. I would say if I had a call to action, um, my call to action would probably be for, for black folks everywhere, uh, specifically for black folks everywhere, uh, to return, return to learning, return to knowledge, return to intelligence. You know, we're, we're responsible for creating, uh, some of the first academic institutions on this planet, um, you know, we we are responsible for teaching and training folks from all corners of the globe in in how to do a multitude of things, right? When you when you look at when you go through history and you look through history at the influence that that black hands um, and minds have had on society, on the environment, on the world itself. My call to action would be: don't don't abandon education. Don't forget that there is always something more to know. Because once you stop learning, you stop you start dying. And they've taken that and they've capitalized on it and run with it. So much so that we now have the popular phrase: if you want to hide something from a black person, where do you put it? Put in a book. Put in a book. I didn't even have to finish it. Right. And so if we if we truly, you know, want to make change, then we have to put ourselves in the best position with the best opportunity to make change. And you can't do that when you don't know. If you don't know how to do something. It don't matter how much you want it. You lack the ability. And so we, we need we need a return. We need a return to the potential for that ability so that we can change. Man, another round of applause for you all. Thank you so much for being here. And yeah, I will close us out on my call because it's very simple. Just get active, get involved, find a political home. I don't, I would not be the person I am today if it were not for my political home, the people who I grapple with, the iron that sharpens me. So um, find that place where you can make mistakes, find people to share in this journey of uh, transformation with you because another world is possible and uh, we, we will be the ones to create it. Big love to Tara and Ade so much for joining us as our very first panelists here in the Artivist Room. And thank you for listening. Welcome to season three again. Um, shout out to my new co-host, St. James. You did amazing. Please be sure to follow our panelists on all of their socials and check out the work that they do. Um, all of their information will be in our show notes. Again, thank you so much for joining us for season three. As always, we'd love to hear what you thought of the show. Let us know by sending a DM on IG, Twitter, or Facebook at The Artivist Room, or simply send us email at theartivistroom at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, be well and stay safe.